You are listening to the Salty Witches Podcast. I am your host for this episode, Mike, and tonight I am joined by a very special guest, Smeagol. Well, hello, precious. Now, Smeagol, should should I refer to you by that name? I mean, we're you've completely done away with, with Gollum now, right? Yes, 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 precious is gone. Okay. How, how are you feeling about that? It's, it's rough sometimes, precious. It's okay. rough. I... Uh, I am not nearly as fast with the fishes anymore. Oh. And, um... I had no idea that a name would, would, uh, impede your ability to Well, no, Precious, it's because of his split personalities. Uh, oh. That, yes, that is true. Yes. Now, you, now you're medicated now, from my understanding, right? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. <coughs> okay, well... Oh, okay. All right, well, um, thank you for joining us. Yes, as always. And our topic for this evening is going to be magic rings. Magic rings. Yes. Do do try to control yourself. Uh well I, I am very short, but I don't know that I would qualify as a halfling no. I also have uh hairy toes, at least. So Well, you seemed like someone who would know a lot about our topic tonight. And Sauron was not taking my calls. Sauron's looking for the rings. He knows what he did. He yeah, he, he and I we used to okay. date, and uh, yeah, let's just say yeah. we, we did. It was it was not a, not a happy That's ending. It was, spicy. It, was, it was not good. It was a little spicy. Yes, actually. Yeah. Uh, um. Are we gonna stop this now? What happened to the ring? Okay. All right. Um, Smeagol, I, I, I I'm feeling a, one of my uh, trademark changes of heart as it would relate to podcast topic. Um, and I think maybe you're such a special guest, we need to maybe save you for something else. I think that it would probably be good for you to to go and allow Austin maybe to step in so we can really discuss our, 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 our podcast. Austin, I love that guy. Oh, really? Yeah. Can I ask why? He makes the best taters. Uh, oh, okay. He's the one who really <laughs> turned me on to taters process. It wasn't the samurai's fat hobbitses. Boil them, bake them. So, oh, okay. No. Okay, well, they roast them. Scary. Do you like French fries? Oh yes, McDonald's okay. is best. Okay. Oh, I think they put cocaine in their French fries. It's true. That's why I have only nine teeth. Oh God, is that why? Uh, oh, well, they're lovely teeth. Ones, the ones that you have left. Um, anyway, yes, if, if you would please um, speak with our secretary on the way out, we will reschedule you for a featured episode. Because tonight's episode is really just going to be a riff episode. Oh, we, we, we don't really have a, a, a single topic. So um, so thank you so much, Smeagol. Um, and uh, now, oh, I see Austin now coming into the studio space. So, well, uh, hi, guys. So. Hello, Preciouses. I have to speak with the nice lady at the front before I leave. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the one with hair like Galadriel. Yeah. Do, do you validate parking? We do validate parking. Oh, God. Okay. Have a good episode, precious. Thank you. Love that guy. He, you know, I... I will say I was a little concerned. Hashtag don't sue us token. Once, once, uh, once he and I chatted a bit before the episode, and he did he did make it clear that he was um, 
he he was well into his course of medication and uh he would be able to control himself well good um was he did he wear deodorant that i'm not sure but you know i'm having a lot of allergies today so my sense of Uh, smell isn't the best okay um but i um yeah he he wasn't super stinky anyway that's good breath was a little off yeah, he. I'm still trying to get him to brush his teeth. It's well, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you don't want to ask too much, well, right? I mean, you don't want to ask too much. He has nine, so it's not like it's hard. But his poor gums, you know. Well, maybe. What do, what do you what do you give someone with only nine teeth? What a lot of floss? No, no. I think a water flosser would be better. Okay. Um, Can't you I, just like rinse your mouth out with water at that point? Though? I, I I know that he scheduled a, con- a consultation with a dentist and oral surgeon as well okay. to get like implants. Oh. Um, so I think he's going to get veneers. Yeah. Oh, he's going to look really cute. I know he's gained a little bit of weight too. Yeah. Colors coming back to his skin, so yeah. he's doing great. Yeah, I love that for him. I love it for Smeagol too. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so what's the episode tonight? Well, we don't really have, as I was uh, telling Smeagol a moment ago, we don't really have a topic this evening, or I should say we have a few different topics. We, over the holiday hiatus, we um, had uh, some listener questions. Coming, yes. Um, and uh, questions, and I think also like a couple of notes about like maybe just people looking for some clarification. Um, and so we're going to we're going to kind of get those out of the way on our uh, first episode into 2023. Yay, 2023. Um, and then, you know, once we've had a chance to do that, you know, you and I will probably, um, you know, we'll probably piss away the rest of the episode on uh, our uh, random witchy observations. So I'm, um, I'm down with that. So let's dive in. Um, so. You're you're monitoring our questions at this point. You're you're handling the, the well. Email. I'm monitoring the ones that are coming to me via the salty which is podcast okay. at gmail.com. Those are the ones I'm mon- monitoring, and for okay. some reason, people still aren't sending things in. And so I'm like, well, you're getting something though. I I'm getting something. I think, I think a lot of people are like, I don't want to send an email. Like you know, like if, if people have the means to text us, I'm sure we would probably be inundated. But uh, people are like, I don't want to have to email. I'm honestly surprised with as huge as email was for my generation that a lot of millennials like do not like email. They do not do email. I was, I'm kind of surprised by this. Like everything either happens through text or some sort of social media platform now, and no that's one wants true. to email. So maybe people, that's the issue. Uh, there, well, I mean, there are even people who only message via Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp. Yeah, everyone has kind of their preferred... But they're still paying for a phone plan for text. Yes, it's very confusing to me. I agree. It's it's almost like the the issue we see now with all these streaming platforms online, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're you're paying like probably two hundred dollars a month for different streaming platforms when really you probably should just pay for cable because you could get a package with all that same shit and it would be cheaper uh sometimes really. sometimes yeah yeah i agree cable's ridiculous i I did the cable thing for a number of years um here we are wasting time again so what uh what what were we contacted about because you know we get contacts we get uh comments and things on uh through the uh through the actual anchor through the service that Mm -hmm. we use have we received any there um we haven't gotten any questions we get comments though and we've had a few people contact us who um who really fortunately the comments have all been very positive they've been very supportive in nature you know it's not that i'm worried about getting a negative comment i'm sure there are people who listen to the podcast who you know they probably disagree or don't like everything we have to say right um 
but yeah, but we've had people on there that are like, you know, like, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, you know, a lot of the good feedback that we got recently was actually on the episode where you let everyone through a grounding exercise. Oh, people good. really seem to enjoy that. So in future, maybe we'll do something similar. No one's asked me to, like, start a YouTube channel for, like, guided meditations, have they? Well, you doing something like that makes about as much sense as me writing another book on witchcraft. Because, you know, the world needs another one of those. I just, um, I, I, I remember I, I taught, I, I teach a course everyone knows that waking the witch and in that course i i do lead everyone through grounding and centering and aligning and all that great stuff and in the process of doing that every single year without fail it's we could just listen to you like all the time and i'm like that's nice that's very awkward for me just sitting there in front of a camera going no. Oh, yes. You hate Three. being the center of attention. Oh, no. I like being the center of attention. But, like, having to just sit, like, yes, look at me while I guide you through a meditation. I don't know. I don't know. Mainly because I'm not technologically savvy enough to put anything in the background or anything like that. Anyway. So, um, okay. Yes, let's get to uh, our uh, comments and questions. So, the first one um, is books. We, we We talk about a lot of books. We talk about... Um, you know, good books that we've read, books that we would suggest. Um, but we haven't really talked about books that we wouldn't suggest. And we... Oh. And we haven't really talked about, like, like why. Why would we suggest this book, but not actually this book? Or why some portions of this book would be good but not others and so it's a question on like discernment and like how to like how do you research and i was having this conversation with uh with jasper actually earlier today because they got this idea that lemons are associated with the sun Mm -hmm. and i was like no not okay. not for me at least not for not not, not yeah, for not, my tradition not, not in every tradition yeah. you know okay, but um, maybe some maybe some and so we had that discussion and they were like Ugh, these online websites and I'm like yeah websites and online stuff is bad it's not good there's not a lot of good information online and if you do tend to roam across one it's like how do you discern what's good and what's not I usually tell my students like does how does your gut feel? Like if you're reading this and there's this like, so I guess just so for, so for my own clarification, so is that was the question or the content we got, was it about books or was it about discernment? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we've talked about, okay, let's, let's touch upon discernment. Okay. Because I, you and you and I, we, um, I'm recalling now that we talked about this question um, I think about a week or so ago in the car, we were driving and we were talking about some of the contacts that we've gotten from people and some of the questions that we had. And this was one of the ones that came up in that conversation. And I remember at the time saying that I discernment could be a tricky thing because it was like, so it was something like intuition. Yeah. You can't, like you can't it. really teach someone to have intuition. Mm-hmm. You can't really teach someone to have discernment. Like it's almost like, I, I kind of think of it as almost like, this is like an, an integral trait or quality that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of like common sense, right? Like you either have common sense or you don't, right? Um, and it's not that you can't learn methods of behavior that kind of get you there. You can, right? Um, but that seems to be increasingly difficult in the world that we live in. So back to what I was going to say though, um, we've talked on prior episodes about, um, 
validating resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the easiest ways that we, we've discussed in, in prior episodes is to take any piece of information that you're given and to compare that against to at least two other sources, two other non-related sources, I mm-hmm. should clarify. You don't want to read something in a Raven Grimasi book and go, oh, I don't know how I feel about that, and then immediately reference another Raven Grimasi book mm-hmm. to get validation. You're you're setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. Um, so comparing anything that you've read... Um, not only against your own kind of inner compass for value, right? I'm, I'm kind of asking you here, like, are you in agreement? No, I'm, um, I'm in agreement with that. But then also looking for other sources. Yes. You know, um, and admittedly, that does get tricky for certain topics. That does get tricky. It's hard to find reliable information on certain things, right? Mm-hmm. One of them we're going to talk about a little bit later, actually, because there's really not a lot of reliable information out there about that topic. But we'll wait and we'll drop that as a surprise toward the end of the episode. Okay. Um, what are some other ways? Just very practical, simple, like beginner friendly, you know, see you all the way through your practice kinds of ways for people to be able to cultivate discernment. If it looks like bullshit, smells like bullshit, tastes like bullshit, it's bullshit. I don't know what bullshit tastes like. It It, it is very... You oh, know, wait, Donald Trump. Yeah, that. Um, anything that, particularly now in this day and age, when anything's claiming to be ancient or yes. super secret yeah. or anything like that, but there's a book about it, yeah. chances are someone's pulling something out of their ass. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, an example I always give people is everyone wants to learn how to work with drag queens. Everyone wants to work with drag queens. Did you say dragon. dragons or drag queens? Dragons. Dragons. Okay, I, thank you. My, my jaw like, Why would we I, want to work with drag queens? My God, they're terrifying. They are terrifying, but they are fierce. Uh, they would make pretty cool spirit guides, yes. I would say, actually, yes. <laughs> Don't take that turn, girl. Mm. Yeah. He trash. Um, anyway, so... So I use this example all the time because there's not a lot of books on working with dragons out there. I mean, there are some. There's a handful. Two of them are by, I think, DJ Conway. Yes, and we don't recommend those books. No, because you're going through and you're like, okay, cool. It's just like setting up an altar and doing this and doing that. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, dragons are allergic to poppies. Yeah, we've mentioned that before. I think we did an episode where we talk about or spoke about draconic spirits specifically. Yeah, and it's like... These are... They're powerful beings. Well, and I guess, so to elaborate on that a little bit, because I I remember reading something about that when we, when that initially hit our radar a couple of years back um, and we were like, oh my God, oh no, no, Ms. Conway, what are you doing? Um, Yes, and DJ Conway is, 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 is a woman, I do believe, yes. Yes. Um... Yes. Um, anyway, but I remember doing a little bit of research. And if I remember correctly, I believe that where the root of that comes from is there is a story to be found, I think, in very old Chinese mythology or lore, folklore and fairy okay. tales about poppies being used to put a dragon to sleep. Oh, opium. To, to save like a village or a princess or something like that, if I remember correctly. Um, and I can't remember the name of the story now, and the I'll admit the thing that I read on it was um, a lot of it hadn't been accurately translated from the old Chinese. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, but I, be- I believe 
where that information comes and it comes from and this is just an example of something like this right uh, but mm-hmm. i think that sometimes when we see pieces of information like that pop up and they're kind of written and put out there is like well this is just established like this is just this is just established belief in witchcraft practice in folk practice right i think sometimes there is like a seed or as i was saying like there is a root for that somewhere mm-hmm. but very often that's something that has completely different context it's nothing to do with witchcraft as a practice mm-hmm. you know in this situation it's it's a, something that stems from fairy tale lore mm-hmm. right um from a very particular culture um you know and so it is by by nature it's not going to be applicable mm-hmm. to the broad spectrum of witchcraft practices it just it, it yeah. couldn't be well well and on top of that i mean even we're if we're looking at those those things seeds of truth kind of being in a lot of that we i forgot where i was going it was there. I got lost. You're you're here. You're with me. Shh. Be still. No, really. It was a prudent point, and my brain broke. I was just abducted by aliens. Um, so that's what we're going to go with, and maybe it'll come back to me. Well, let's hope. Uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling concerned for you. I have a concern. Um, <clears throat> so, okay. So, again, back to ways to maybe help filter out some of the nonsense that, mm-hmm. that trickles in, right? So we talked about verifying sources against other other sources. And, mm-hmm. be, and be mindful when you're doing that. I mean, seriously, it, it does not take a lot of research these days when we talk about finding verifiable resources or additional references for things that you've learned, particularly things that not only have you learned, but you're include, or choosing to include in your own belief system. Um, it's not hard these days with the internet to be able to go out and find, you know, the names of authors who have written extensively on particular things, you know, and they and they are actually what they claim to be, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're not just writing crap, you know, like, these are people who, you know, they have degrees in history, you know, they've got degrees in folklore, they've got, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, right? Um, these are people who really know their stuff, and, you know, and they talk a lot about these things, and a lot of what they say can be backed up by history, archaeology, these kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not hard to find those kinds of sources, I don't think, no. you know, I think the challenge now is people People are, I don't want to say a number of people are lazy because I don't really think it's laziness. I think it's a sense of, well, maybe it is laziness or maybe it's they apathy. Lack, they lack self-sufficiency. It's Self-sufficiency is an issue, but I also know that a lot of it comes down to stamina in practice, you know, which seems like a really obscure or odd way to put that. But I've noticed that there are people out there that, you know, they want something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're told, well, okay, well, you can have this thing this way which is the right way which means you'll really earn it and by the time you actually are able to claim the thing or the title whatever it may be you'll be able to do 100% of whatever this is Mm -hmm. and then you've got other people who want the thing you know but then when they look at all that's going to go into it and they're going to look at the commitment they have to make and the time and the energy right they're like well I'll just pay $600 and do the Udemy course you know well actually it's usually like $20 for a Udemy course well however much it may be right um if it's 20 okay if you're being $20 for any kind of certification you are being robbed blind yep um anyway so I think it's it's not difficult I think or it shouldn't be difficult to find verifiable or reliable means of verification for information you're you're reading about and learning right easy um depending on certainly the the topic right or the, the subject um developing i think as you were kind of going down that path around like kind of like an inner filter Mm -hmm. or a sense would you say that with a little bit of time and once you've been able to actually connect to 
one or two truths as it would relate to practice history whatever it may be right in your own your own belief system would you would you say that being able to kind of figure out how to filter out the rubbish it gets a little easier yes okay yes i uh we've both been doing this for a long time and i'm 23 i don't know what you're talking yeah, you've about. been doing it your entire life um i i've had those moments where i've been reading a book by a supposed reputable author and it's like wait wait yeah wait and then you'll find yourself going back and rereading some of their other books or looking at the other sources or some of their other things and then you're like whoa and then th this leads people down this this road of like existential crisis you know mm. um it's like when people were die hard about christopher penzak's temple of witchcraft series <sighs> and the more and more that comes out, it's not that those things are bad, but how much appropriation is in there mm -hmm. and like how much is their actual validity to these things. And, and so you've now read and you've done all these, these read all these the books and done all the exercises and bought the expensive CDs. And now you have to move somewhere and do all these initiations. Like it's a lot. Let's so you you so you raise a really interesting point there, and I want you to kind of expand on this a little bit. But I want to ask you a question. So, what do you? What what's your your opinion? What's your belief on the idea? You mentioned Penzac, and I you mm -hmm. know I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of Penzac. I've made that very clear over the years. I, I'm not a, I don't care. I know I realize that that Christopher Penzac has contributed quite a bit to what we identify as contemporary witchcraft practice. I cannot deny that. Um, but for me, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like where you're at. I'm kind of like, Ugh. he basically just took a whole bunch of shit that other people were already doing and repackaged it and sold it as his own. And boom, now he's got a big name in the industry, right? In the community. And I, I don't really care for Christopher Penzac. Um, but I, I'm getting, moving away from that though, to the point I'm trying to make. Okay, so what do you feel? What's your belief on, um, we understand that, witchcraft folk practice these kinds of traditions right these things are are constantly evolving mm -hmm. so when you look at say names like uh the ferrars mm -hmm. or god let's go full-on wicca gardner right uh dream valiente when you look at names like this people who were kind of like the pioneers if we could use that word right mm -hmm. of the contemporary witchcraft community right um a lot of what these people were doing and writing in the era in which they were doing it originally was relevant. Yeah. This is what people were doing, mm -hmm. you know, and things have sure how has helped have changed a lot since yeah. then. Thank God. Um, but that does not mean that at one point that what these people were doing would not have been able to be uh, verified valid kinds of information or practice. Right. Correct. Okay. Okay. All right. So, you know, and like I said, I, I don't know, just to be clear on that, I don't know that a lot of what these names have, were writing, I don't know how much of that is still relevant to contemporary witchcraft mm -hmm. practice, particularly traditional witchcraft mm -hmm. practice. Um, but I, I think we have to be very mindful of that, right? With the understanding that everything changes. Yes. And the information that you read, you research something on a particular topic, a particular thing that you want to incorporate in your practice. If you're reading that, say, 10 years in the past, 
that's that's the truth at that point, right? Mm-hmm. That's what's real. That's what people are doing. That's what we believe, mm-hmm. right? But then as 10 years progress and you find yourself sitting here today, right, and new information has come out, even things that aren't witch-related, right? Like there have been new scientific discoveries mm-hmm. around certain things, right? There's been new archaeological evidence that's come up around a particular culture that's associated with your practice, mm-hmm. right? I mean, as time progresses and we get to know more about our world, our cultures, ourselves, our universe, whatever, right? What was true and relevant then may cease to be less so now, but that's only because we're coming upon deeper understanding and newer relevancies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're evolving. Different. Yeah. We're, we're allowing our actual traditions that we practice within ourselves um, to to be living, okay. to grow. Okay. Um, I mean, hell, even, even th- that stuff even happened back in in Gardner and Valiente's day. Yeah. Like how how often do you hear the story of Gardner and Margaret Murray and then all of a sudden out of nowhere yes. Margaret Murray is now Margaret Margaret Murray was an amateur anthropologist. Well and she uh, you know a lot of what a lot of what she did I think was really, wasn't even a real anthropologist. I don't even think she went to school for it. Well I, I'm not entirely sure what her academic credential is but you know and, and you know why speak ill of the dead, right? But I, I will say um her her, some of the theories she put forth around like the ancient witch cults and things, mm-hmm. I still think those are ideas that continue to really confuse a lot of people within the community. Mm-hmm. And the idea you mentioned this word a few moments ago, you talked about how anything that markets itself or brands itself as an ancient practice is something in per- in particular something that you should be very cautious yes. about. Because those ancient practices, one, didn't exist, or the information has been lost mm-hmm. a long, long time or ago. Or it's incomplete. Um, well, and it also wouldn't have been recognized as witchcraft, right? Exactly. It would have been something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so ancient is, is is an interesting thing. But you're right. You've got figures like Gardner and Margaret Murray, Doreen Valiente, people like that, people kind of of that era. Or is that Margaret or Margaret? Is it, it's Mar- Margaret. It's Margaret? So I'm pretty sure it's Margaret, isn't it? I'll check later. Oh, God. Well, you said that name, and now that's all that's coming to my brain. You did this to me. You did this to me. Um, Drawing down the moon is her thing, right? Um, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, but those people were themselves drawing upon written information. Margaret Alder is drawing down the moon. Oh, okay. Hey, Lynn, well, that's a different person. This is terrible. We're it's talking. Margaret Murray. It yeah. is Margaret Murray. Okay, Sorry. Thank you. Okay. I okay. miss. And miss, you had me talking. doubting myself. I was like, well, oh my God, am I getting this wrong? Am I thinking of the wrong person? Um, but Margaret Murray and and Gerald Gardner and, and people of that generation, they were also in their day, they were referring or, or they had to refer to older texts, right? They mm-hmm. had to refer to information that they were getting from other sources, you know? And a lot of that, I think, to be honest, was really information that was coming out of um, you know, like the late 1800, early, early 1900 era of the Golden Dawn and mm-hmm. the influence we had there, particularly those English occultists, right? When you look at like Gerald Gardner, you know, Margaret Murray, uh, during, when you, during Valiente, when you look at that that era and that group of practitioners, that group of witches, mm-hmm. um, they were all highly influenced by the Golden Dawn, Rosicrucianism. They were, they were really mm-hmm. coming from a lot of that and they were incorporating a lot of those old texts, real or not, because we know now a lot of that stuff is bullshit, right? But real or not, they were incorporating that and using a lot of that as foundation for their witchcraft mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that yeah right that's an example of how things evolve um by the way margaret murray is actually educated it's okay. just that a lot of her stuff was proven to be very very um I, I remember this now with like a lot of my like 
like the training I went through, it's it, it was proven to be assumed, not proved. So theory, hypotheticals. Okay, so she okay, so she took but she presented she it took in such a theory manner. and and presented it in a way where she was basically saying like this is this is established fact. Yes, and okay. she was technically an Egyptologist. Okay. Oh, so that okay, yeah, that gave her a lot of uh, really wow. Okay, anyway. Um, hmm. What other ways can people help fall uh, avoid falling themselves? What other ways can people help themselves to avoid traps around discernment and buying into things that are research the person who's giving you the information? Okay. You know, we're talking about like research and like discernment, but if you don't know who. Particularly if they're claiming to be like an expert in yeah. something, right? Like, I mean, uh, let's 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 example. If you don't know who Dorothy Morrison is, who's Dorothy Morrison? Uh, Dorothy Morrison wrote *Utterly Wicked* and a few other books um, that we, I can't think we, of right we, now. Yes, we we like Ms. Morrison. Yes, yes. Um, Dorothy Morrison. If you don't know who Dorothy Morrison is, but you're going into a witchcraft shop and you're like, "I'm gonna hex a bitch," and you're picking up *Utterly Wicked* and you're looking at it and you're like. I don't know. There's some weird stuff in here. And then you're like getting freaked out over like, oh, well, she's calling herself a hoodoo practitioner. Well, she grew up in that in, in, in that area and just all this other stuff, you know, um, research who she is. Mm. Research who she is, what company she runs, if she has any initiations at all, what's her backing, what is she doing, and quite honestly, just see if you can find interviews with with this with the author. Yeah, you know, if you are really going to go that far because you lack the ability to discern, or if you are lacking in that ability, mm. then deep dive into the authors, deep dive into the authors themselves, because then that's going to tell you, okay, I could probably really go for what this person's saying about half the time or I'm all in yeah. you know um, I I love Jimmy Gary as an author I yeah. Jimmy Gary yeah. is smart yeah. educated mm-hmm. uh, knows her shit about her she also seems like she's kind of like fun and classy yes you know, like fun and she, classy she seems like like um, she has that dry British I, I grew up watching like the old like Agatha Christie mysteries mm-hmm. with my mother and, um, and I was kind of when I, I hear Gemma Gary or see her do interviews and things, I'm always like, she could step right out of an Agatha Christie novel. It's true. If you ever get like uh, Cornish Book Aways, a traditional book on witchcraft, mm-hmm. um, there are like images and pictures of her like doing spells and like showing examples. Yeah. And you look at me like, this looks like the ancient witch who stole the youth and the beauty from everyone. And when you hear her talk, she's, Yes, yes, she kind well, of talks in, in a whisper. Well, in yes. Devonshire, we actually... And she's so, just, so smart. Yes, she is. And, um, you know, if you do a deep dive into who Jimmy Gary is, you're going to find that a lot of her stuff is, it's familial. She's writing mm-hmm. about the cultures that she grew up in. Yeah. And so this is not just a, a hearsay. This is firsthand knowledge from one person mm-hmm. who's experienced it, writing about her experiences and how she tied those in with her craft. Mm-hmm. You know, she goes into things like the British, uh, the, the British, yeah, the British Museum of Witchcraft. She yeah. talks about that and what's in there and what you can find there. And so that's how you would do it is you deep dive into the author themselves. And then if you feel a connection with that author, cool you know well and i along those lines of what you're saying i think it's important because as as i was saying a few moments ago it can be really difficult to find sometimes to be able to find information that can confirm 
uh, particularly things like maybe like like specific types of spiritual initiations. It can be difficult to find that stuff. Mm-hmm. So what I've asked people or what I've recommended to people in that situation is to look for the mundane pieces. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this the other day because we've got a coven class coming up on the lore of our coven and where our tradition originates. And um, and in looking at the, my notes for that class as I'm going to be presenting that, you know, um, the one of the things that kind of stood out as a good example of this to me is that even if for some reason you were not able to, in researching our coven tradition, you were not able to find um, or you couldn't find public access to because it's a closed tradition. You're not mm-hmm. going to find public access to information about the tradition itself. If you look at the familial line of the people who carried the tradition and where those people are being said to have lived, where those families originated from, right? You can find validating details around those mundane things, right? You can find out like, oh, well, this person told me that the tradition is this, and I can't really find any information on that, but they said that it originated here. So I'm to do a little bit of research into this particular area because they said that this is something that originated in this area and in the process of looking into that area you might be able to find some information historically around like were these kinds of spiritual practices maybe common here Mm -hmm. was this culture something that maybe included this kind of spiritual worship or practice right um you know and you can confirm those pieces you know and that at the very least will give you maybe some place to start right um And then you can take that information back to whomever it is you are learning from and you can say, okay, well, I did a little bit of research and I found this and what's your feeling on this, right? And in response, they say, well, what are you doing researching this? Huge red flag, right? Mm -hmm. So what's 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 your take on that? If you ask a question of someone who has presented something and their first response is to get defensive and shitty with you, what does that usually signify? Well, it depends. Because if someone's asking about our coven tradition, I get defensive. And I don't know why, because you don't need to. I get defensive because I'm protective of it. And I'm like, well, why do you want to know? Well, because I want to know. Oh, okay, but why? Are are you Italian? Well, people are curious. Are you Mediterranean? Maybe they are. And it's hard to find information about those things. Well, meanwhile, they're holding a statue of fucking Loki. No, they're not. I'm not going to share any information. Yeah. You know? No, but that's a conversation that you can have, Exactly. Though, but right? but the, the if they are refusing to give any more information, even though they haven't given you a reason as to why, because mm-hmm. my usual response is, I can't reveal that. That's coven, That's very coven specific. Yeah, that's cl- it's a closed familial exactly. tradition. Yeah. Um, that's a red flag. That's a cult. Oh, yeah. Right? That is a cult. Yeah. Um, and... If you are a listener studying with a quote-unquote traditional Wiccan, and when you ask a question and their response is to get defensive, like, well, well, why? What do you, why do you want to know that? That's not how it should be. The mm. response should be, you will learn about that, not just yet, mm-hmm. because of these reasons. Yeah. It should be an explanation. It shouldn't be a, no. Well, if someone has put themselves in a position to share information i'm not talking just like in it in the capacity of teacher but mm-hmm. somebody is as you know maybe they've, they've published a book mm-hmm. you know or they're teaching a class well not teaching a class whatever they're posting shit on on social media forums about yeah. witchcraft or something right somebody's put themselves in the position where they're like they're now the mouthpiece for sharing this information spreading this information to others um that that person has then assumed the responsibility to be able to back up what they are saying. Yes. And if they cannot do that, then you know right off the bat that they're full of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and when you're talking to someone like me, where a lot of it's familial, and you're asking me to back it up, usually my response is, that's just, that's just what we did. <laughs> like, that's just what my uh, family did. Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, and I, I've challenged myself 
in recent years not to not to go there, not to give that kind of a, of a flip or half-assed response because that that doesn't do anything to help that person. It's it's I think it's easier to be honest if you're the the person in that situation who who is being asked a question. I think it's better for you just to say I can't really talk about that because this is a closed practice or this is information that you really only have access to if you go through a particular process of training or initiation. Mm-hmm. It would be much better to say that than just to say, well, this is just what we do. Why do you want to know? Right? Because that's not going to do anything to help that person. Right? And the thing is, even if you come back and you say, well, this is a close practice, they might still push. Mm-hmm. But at least then you have something concrete to fall back on. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, I don't want to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so that's one other thing I, I want to challenge those of you who find yourselves in the position of being, you know, sharers of information and teachers. Um, do better by your students. Give give them a little bit more. Even if you can't give them an answer, at least tell them why you can't give them an answer. Yeah. Um, God. And it's okay if your if your response is I don't know. Exactly. Don't be afraid to admit that you don't know something. Oh God, it happens all the time with me. I can't tell you how many times people ask me something about Germanic folklore, and I'm like, I don't know. That is not my bag. But I can sing in German really well. Yes. That's the extent of it. You know. So. So let's talk a little bit on books and why we would suggest certain books and um, like what books for sure, like just some examples. So I'm, I'm looking over at our shelf here and we have a very large selection of books. And I'm going to say that for as much as I like Judica Isles and her ability to research and her ability to present information in such a this is a thing mm-hmm. way. Um, I'm looking at her book Pure Magic and I've read it, I've thumbed through it, I've looked at some things and there's a lot of I don't want to say whitewashing, but there's a particular work in there where she talks about using white sage mm-hmm. and then there's an asterisk and then underneath it's like because it's endangered not because because indigenous people have asked us not to use it because it's part of their sacred practices mm-hmm. you know uh, and and i think that that was for me a little bit of a that's that is a like that's a cop out that that was a uh, so yeah i don't mind judica isles books but remember when you're mm-hmm. when you're getting the what is it five thousand encyclopedia spell book or whatever well, and half the spells in that book they're not even really spells exactly they're, they're same things, with a thousand and one she's spell pulled book. out of, pulled out of like i mean she's got shit in that book that's like uh, she pulled this from like a grim fairy tales book yeah you know i mean there's stuff in there that's like okay you know if you were particularly adept in your magical practice it's not that you couldn't make something like a fairy tale work in a spell mm-hmm. you certainly could yeah um but I think people pick up books like that and they go, oh, it's a spell book. And it's like, yeah, but only about half the spells in there actually have like any real foundation in anything. Yeah. You know, the rest of it's just, you know, fairy tales and folklore, which also has its value. Yeah. But not in witchcraft well, that's practice. How you would, um, that's how you would learn back in the day. So, um, yeah, well, yeah. So I, one of the my favorite books that I love to have people start with and now I this, I know this is a shame. I love Frankie's book, Spells for Change. Okay, so we've talked about Spells for Change on the podcast before. And, and it is definitely a good one. I, I sold our last copy of that. we got to order more. I sold our last copy of that today. Frankie, if you um, listening, SOS, send help. 
Um, no, we're good. We're, we've got no problem ordering more copies of that, and it continues to, to people. People yes. are after that book. It's a good one, and we recommend it. Um, and the thing is, is the reason I trust Frankie is when I know Frankie. Um, but also the information that is in there, Frankie has backed up and Frankie has no problem saying, this is a thing. I know it's from this culture. I'm not touching it because I'm not from that culture. And I want to respect the people who do and give those people a chance. So that to me is reputable authors that that is good information, though. There are some things in there that I'm like, hmm, I wouldn't do that. But this isn't me. But you know, your practice. Is exactly. My practice is different. You know, that's that's the first one. The, the the first book that a lot of people have been turned on to, though, that I don't necessarily agree with is, sorry for y'all traditionalists, Uncle Bucky's Big Blue, Raymond Buckland's Book of Witchcraft. It, it, it's supposedly the first full course in traditional witchcraft. It's not, it's in Wicca, if you want to be a Wiccan... That has a little bit of a traditional leaning, but not really any standing or footing. I have a copy of it. I, on occasion, do like to go through and look at it and do redo some of the assignments just to keep my knowledge up and keep my fills up. And, you know, if something has changed, I'm able to go back and adjust accordingly. Um, but it's it's very Wiccan. There's lots of appropriation in there. And there's also lots of stuff in there that is very specific to Wicca. It is not a book on witchcraft. It is literally a book on how to be a traditional Wiccan without a coven, without any proper initiations. Okay, so with all that being said, that would be one you would tell people to avoid. I would tell you to avoid it if okay. you were looking for traditional witchcraft. If you're the person, someone who needs structure and like a, a journal week by week lesson by lesson plan and you don't want to like go take a class or something then it's probably going to be good for you but understand that when you take a class from someone else who doesn't necessarily agree with that it's going to be very confusing and it's going to cause a lot of um, cognitive dissonance yes okay rather than recommending books because mm -hmm. we've we've done that a lot um, you know, and it's not that I can't throw out a few of, of my favorites because, you know, or, or yes, I know some, we, 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 but, we've um, done a lot of these before and it's, well, and, I and I, I'm wondering if it's just well, that people aren't listening to those episodes or well, if the sound on those episodes is just shitty. That's probably part of it. It probably part of it. Well, you know, when we did have some technical issues with sound early on in the podcast, we probably still do now. I don't know. Well, you know, our setup here isn't super fancy, but, um, uh, rather than naming a bunch of books, though, because I, I really, I think, to be honest, most of the titles I would throw out would really be fairly easily discovered with just a, a serious search on reliable references on witchcraft these days. So rather than doing that, the one thing I want to say along the topic of books is, um, and this is something that I've told students in the past, but when you're looking at books as a reference for your spiritual practice, um, Consider every book that you pick up and read, and do read them. If you're going to buy a book, read it. Do not become another one of these witch librarians who has a room full of books that have never been touched, you know, and you tell yourself, like, oh, I'll get to it soon. I'll get to it soon. I got to finish this one, right? You know, and, and I'm, I'm sitting here saying this, and I'm like, I do this, and I do. I have a pile of books sitting next to my bed at home that I have not had an opportunity to read. Same. Um, because there are just too many fucking books. And that's one of the reasons I said earlier, like, the world does not need another book on witchcraft. Um, <clears throat> but um, if you buy a book, read it. Otherwise, it's a waste. Um, anyway, but... 
anything you're going to pick up like that, any book, any piece of information that you're going to incorporate into your practice or your belief system, look at it or think of it as the piece, a piece in a puzzle. Because there is no one book out there. There is no one book out there. There is no one website. There is no social media influencer that's involved in witchcraft practices. There's no one source in any media, any any platform, whatever it may be, that is going to be able to give you a complete experience of witchcraft or folk practice. Everything that you learn is going to be just another piece in the puzzle of what ultimately will be your practice. Um, and that's why it's good to look and to cast your net wide. Obviously, make sure you're not stepping on other people's toes and that you're being respectful of things that you shouldn't be getting involved in. But um, but cast your net wide. And don't be afraid to learn about things that even from the get-go you understand. I probably will never do this, but I'd like to know a little bit more about it just to be sure. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, you know, and, and think of it that way. Because I think a lot of people make the mistake of going out and picking up a book. And this happens in both good and bad ways. Mm -hmm. Right? People make the mistake. They go out and they buy a book. And because of the hype of that book online, you know, or because of you know, whatever, whatever it may be, right? They pick up that book and they read it and they get to the last page of the book and they feel a sense of disappointment because that book didn't give them every magical answer they wanted. They still have more to read. They uh -huh. still have more to research. They still have more to process. Yeah. Right. And the reading, the research and the process never ends ever 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 never if you ever. are going to if you are really going to be a witch and i know this is going to make me sound like an asshole and maybe an ableist and who an elitist i don't know call me all those things if you need to a gatekeeper but if you are really a witch you will never stop learning ever period if the day that you stop learning the day you get to the moment where you're like i know everything i need to know you're not a witch anymore um, because that sense of curiosity and that thirst for knowledge and new experience, that is a, is a integral, a foundational component to being a witch and witchcraft practice. So having said that, um, remember that you're not going to find any one book out there that is going to satisfy all of your questions. You're not going to find one book out there that's going to give you every piece of what you need to know to do the thing. You you really have to continue to look and it's just part of how it works. Well, and, and you also it sucks, have but it's there. to do the work. You can read all the books in the world, but yeah. if you're not doing the exercises, you're not doing the workings, you're not communing with those spirits, you're not doing the actual work to, to, to further your craft, all you're doing is you're reading books and gathering knowledge. Good for you. Can you cast an effective spell? Well, and now you're you're you've effective, effectively become an armchair occultist. Right? Exactly. Like, can you yeah. can you cast an effective spell? Well, I know how. I think there are exceptions to this because I read that manual on how to fly a plane, and I truly do now feel that I could be a pilot. Thank God you're not flying the airplane to Noah. I know, but I've got those cute little wings. It's true. Um. <clears throat> anyway, so so please understand that. Yes, books and learning is important, but also doing your own personal work around like, how does this feel for me? You know, am I, am I, do I feel like I'm doing the work? Do I feel like I'm doing the things? Maybe I should try this ritual that I dreamt about and see what comes of it. Yeah. You know? Don't be afraid to experiment. Yeah. You know, as long as you're not, you know, now having said that, I mean, obviously, you know, again, please, God, use a little bit of, a, of common sense. Yeah, like, there, use right? your brain. Like, yeah, don't don't decide that you can, 
you know, you're going to do a spell that's going to give you the ability to fly and then decide you're going to jump off the side of a building. Or right? that's that's not an experiment. That's suicide. Or don't think like, you know, let's go into the graveyard and we actually have to dig up the human skull and do that. Like that's 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 illegal. Though there are traditions that do that. Um, yeah. But it's still illegal. So, yeah. Yes, we're not advocating that. Publicly, no. we're saying right now, we, we do not advocate mm. digging up bodies. Now, privately, no. no just kidding. Um, all right. So, discernment. Were there other book titles you wanted to share? Um, you know, Ravenstone. Uh, no, Ravenstone. Ravenwolf gets a really bad rap, and there's a reason why. If you don't want to read Raven, Ravenwolf, don't read Ravenwolf. And that's okay. Um, there's a lot of misinformation in Ravenwolf. There's a lot of I'm so um, sorry. unverified personal gnosis. There's a lot of appropriation. And Ravenwolf, as far as I'm aware, we've talked about this on the podcast, has no actual affiliation with any of the traditions she claims to actually have any affiliation with. As a matter of fact, I do believe that those circles are actually defunct and dissolved. Um, I will say Big Red, Solitary Witch, which is by Ravenwolf, is a very good reference book. It is big, and it is just that's just what it is. It's a good reference book. There are some cool spells in there that I wouldn't mind trying. Um, Ravenwolf does go on a whole, don't harm anyone, baneful magic bad, hexing bad, blah, 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 blah. And I never agreed with that, even when I was Wiccan, because trad Wiccans believe in baneful magic, and we do baneful magic. But anyway. Um, so, so... Those are some, some some good books, I mean, to avoid. Other really good books to avoid. There's one book called Witch. And it talks about, like, how you can only be a witch if you have a womb. Yeah, I hear things like that. Yeah, any, any book that presents a, like, you can't be a witch unless kind of a thing. Yeah, you want to, again, be very suspect about that. I mean, obviously, um, you can't be a witch unless you are not bigoted. You uh, you can't be a witch. Like, th- those types of things are like, okay, cool, awesome. Um, there's another book called Spellcrafting as well by Aaron Murphy Hiscock. Um, and and it's, it's not bad. It's not the best. A lot of people love Hiscock. I'm not a fan of Hiscock. Well, I mean, Hiscock's written some other, uh, I think, you know, I'm flipping through this book. But, you know, and there's stuff in here that, you know, again, is like, I would say fairly appropriative. Um, and, and I would say overall very, fairly Wiccan in nature. But but in nowhere, nowhere in the book does it qualify that that's the perspective or the basis on, on how they're writing. Mm-hmm. You know, and like if you're going to be writing something from a Wiccan perspective, you demo the beginning of that book better say that you're writing from a Wiccan perspective. Anyway. Um, understand that most modern day books on witchcraft and the occult are going to have that lean of Wicca, um, except for like the big occult oh, books. You know, I don't mean, I'm not trying to shit on Wicca. I'm just saying, but we need to to avoid confusion, particularly in people who are just starting out and learning. Mm-hmm. We need to clearly identify the roots of these different yes. beliefs and practices. Yes. Right, because Wicca is a very different animal than traditional witchcraft. Yes, that is something I will say with with some of the new books that are coming out. It is very much like so. I started in Wicca, and now I'm not. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 good to see that. I actually think in Psychic Witch, Matt Arn talks a little bit about that. Oh, um, was he Wiccan? Uh, yeah, Matt Arn was was I think Alexandrian for a long time. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, now we I don't think they are anymore. 
Um, oh, that's fine. You know, what, yeah, whatever. Um, so, so yeah, there are some really good ones out there, and there are also some really bad ones. Just try and follow your gut instinct. Read the back of the book. Research the author. I mean, there are there are authors out there who have literally plagiarized Matt Aron word for word. Yeah, that's true. And mm-hmm. like none of the self publishers, like y- y- no one's doing anything about it because yeah. you can't. Well, I think a lot of that stuff is also happening like overseas. Yeah, where it's very hard to like you know punish someone for yeah. for that kind of theft. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and when you're looking into things like folk magic or particularly Italian magic because a lot of people come in they want to learn about italian magic they want to learn about italian witchcraft they want to learn about mediterranean practice that's great there's a reason it survived and there's a reason it's secretive and it's because we we, we had to mm-hmm. do that and so a lot of the books you're going to find i i mean i remember i had this conversation with someone they said well i i read burn a black candle by by, by d norman and it was just so there's just, just a lot of catholicism i'm like it's, it's italian folk magic mm-hmm course there is yeah italian folk magic is, has been hef- heavily catholicized yes and there's and the thing is is <clears throat> there is nothing wrong with that because no, if no, you know the yeah, roots yeah. if you know that when you're doing hell mary full of grace will start thou amongst women blesses through thy womb mm. you're really doing hell diana full of grace will start thou amongst witches and blesses through thy womb mm. you know you can actually take and adjust those and it can work really 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 well yeah that's true and it talks about the, the uh, Molochio in there. So if you want a good book on, like, Italian folk magic and, like, some of those practices, Burn a Black Candle is actually pretty good. I don't necessarily like a lot of the talk about, like, salt and different, different like, mm. waters in there. Yeah. Just because I have some things there. But I do, I, I will say that they are not traditional. You know, she talks about moon water and... Uh, the thing is, is if you talk about moon water, you need to understand that from an Italian perspective, that would be water specifically from Lake Nemi or any natural body of water that the full moon has light has hit. And at that point, as soon as the sun hits it, it's no longer lunar water. Yeah. So, um, but she does go into some other ones like river water and stuff like that and the purposes. Yep. Very true. So now, Mike. Oh, yes. I'm handing this all over to you. Oh God, why? Intuition versus anxiety. How and why? Uh, you, th- you throw me under the bus at every chance. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, I think it... Okay, so, all right, okay. All right, okay. Th- this is something that comes up, you know, again and again in conversation, right? And I think it's, it's a good thing to be discussing again and again as it comes up because I still think there's a lot of confusion uh, you know, and I, I want to say, though, I know uh, those of you who listen to the podcast, um, you, you also, Austin, you you will attest that I um, I have no qualms shitting on the New Age community. Uh, but I, I will say, I think one of the reasons that we see a lot of issues with this, this, dif- this dif- difficulty of being able to distinguish intuitive response or intuitive sense and, and anxiety, just generalized anxiety, is because of a lot of the New Age ideology that has slipped into just the spectrum of spiritual belief, right? You've got New Age concepts, like like in recent years, we've seen the rise, and, and I, fortunately, I believe it is starting to kind of ebb a bit. Oh, God, it needs to go away. But you've got these ideas like empaths, right? Everyone's an empath. Right. I'm an empath and I pick up your energy and I'm an empath and everywhere I go, I pick up on people's negativity and, and I'm an empath and everywhere, you know, and I, I cannot count you both. You and I both cannot, you know, you and I have had that conversation. We've heard that from so many people. Right. And I think that when you you look at or when you introduce concepts like that that are half baked, 
you know, there's there's no real spiritual basis in anything like that, right? We're all empaths. Empathy is a very human thing. Everyone has empathy. That does not make you special. That does not make you psychic to be to have empathy. Um, but I think if we look at what people have been told that is by New Agers, you know, and people within that community, there's this idea that, well, you're picking up everybody else's negative emotion. And if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling tense, or if you're feeling stressed out or, or you know, depressed or whatever, a lot of that is probably just the negative vibrations and the negative emotional or psychic energy that you're picking up from other people because you're psychic and you're, you're an empath, right? And so <clears throat> I see that as being kind of one of the uh, foundational issues with this this distinction between anxiety and and intuition, um, you know, it's tricky trying to to describe beyond that. I think it's tricky to try to describe what exactly these things are as they relate because they can certainly be connected. Um, but I, I would say just in kind of giving it like you know the good old college try, you know, intuition is something that I think is going to pop up or <clears throat> should pop up. Excuse me, in a way that has okay, I I wanna make I wanna I need to choose my words very carefully because I don't want to create more confusion. When you are having an intuitive response to something, that response is usually something that is going to encompass the entirety of your being. You're going to feel physical sensation you're going to feel certainly logical like things are going to move through your brain you're going to have an emotional response right but a lot of those things at least what's triggered those things is something that's not going to be conscious it's not going to be something that you can think back on in the last few minutes and go oh yeah this thing just happened or i had this this nasty interaction with this person or you know i had to deal with this particular situation that kind of triggers me or sets me up to feel anxious right like if people logic their anxiety if you think about their your anxiety a little bit and you look for the triggers for anxiety you're going to find or figure out pretty quickly that those triggers, those those are not the same triggers for intuitive response or connection. Intuition also is usually, um, I want to say, very, um, it tends to be more random mm-hmm. for a lot of people, right? Where people who are feeling anxiety, usually like they're, these are people who are in a fairly consistent state of anxiety, mm-hmm. right? Like these are, like if you're highly anxious, you're a highly strung person who has a difficult time determining whether or not you're intuitive or you're just dealing with anxiety, you're anxious. That's anxiety because intuition is not going to be a constant thing. Yeah. Um, and intuition is not going to be something that is going to be uh, lingering and and to continuing to take up space in your mind. Usually if you have an intuitive moment, it's here and it's gone, right? Or it's here and it might linger for a few minutes while you have an opportunity to figure it out or to get the, the meaning or the communication, right? And then mm-hmm. it's gone and you're left with just the basis or the meaning or the communication, right? Everything else goes away, right? That's more along the lines of how intuition works. If you are having something like ruminative thoughts or you know, just lingering sensations, emotions, whatever. And, and there's no basis for why you're having them. Um, and, and they're not really, there's nothing made available to you that would potentially hold deeper meaning. That's anxiety. You're having an anxiety response. Um, so how, how would you say, I know you were, you were going to, put this all on me but i would like your your you to, to share an opinion on this austin what 
what have you found in say maybe more practical in the moment day-to-day kinds of ways maybe that people can do to kind of check themselves like oh this happened i'm feeling this way could this be an intuitive thing to something that's just happened or is this really just an anxious response usually if i have to ask it's an anxious response okay yeah, I would agree. Like, like I, and I know that's very broad because, you know, if, let's say you're picking up on an intuitive message of something's happening, you know, mm-hmm. don't drive down that road. And you're anxious about not driving down that road. So probably listen to that and don't drive down that road. Yeah. You know, but. But then let it go. But then let it go. Right. Don't, don't, Instead don't, of obsess don't, over don't, it. Uh, yes. Don't obsess all day on why didn't I drive that round down that road. Yeah. Right. Or, or, you know, is this person angry at me? Yes, usually. I don't know. Have you have you asked them? Well, no, no, I can't ask them. Why? Okay, that's not intuition. Because I'm an empath and I can sense their that, anger. That's not intuition. That's anxiety. Yeah. Because as a mature adult and a mature person, you should be able to go, hey, so I'm feeling this mm-hmm. and I just want to check in. Are we all right? Yeah. Well, so would you say then, kind of along those lines, and this is going to touch upon what I was saying a moment ago, I'm thinking back to the way I was kind of putting that, and I, I'm, I'm coming up with slightly different words, but I also I want to get your, your opinion on this. Um, anxiety is usually something that is learned through experience, right? We have, usually, if we have an anxious response to something, unless it's a very primitive fight or flight it's, kind it's, of thing. It's usually some sort of trauma say, response, I would agree. Day to day, I don't think most people are finding themselves, at least not in the world we live in now. Although if you live in the United States, who knows? Um, but I think on average, most people today are not finding themselves consistently in fight or flight kinds of situations where like really your survival is at stake. Really, it has a lot more to do with like, oh, f- your phone rings. And you're someone that doesn't like to talk on the phone. Actually having a phone conversation instead of just texting makes you anxious, right? But there's a reason for that. There's a very tangible, real, like at some point, mm-hmm. who knows, right? You had an experience. You you just, you don't like communicating over the phone verbally, yes. right? There's a basis for mm-hmm. anxiety that can be found in mundane reasons yes. where intuition doesn't doesn't intuition have doesn't have a mundane reason, no. Because, but, but I mean, also we have to acknowledge that sometimes anxiety is literally just a brain chemistry thing. That's very true. Um, I'm one of those people who has generalized anxiety disorder, and I am just kind of anxious all the time. And so when I was learning to hone my abilities, it very much was, is this intuition or is this anxiety? And a lot of the times I can honestly say, you aren't that special that you're getting that much of an intuitive message five times a day. It's not happening. Unless you are doing the work professionally, you're not keyed into that stuff yeah. 100% all the time. I don't care how sensitive you are. I don't care. I don't I, I don't care. There is not one person on this earth who can convince me that I'm just oh so sensitive and so powerfully psychic that I'm dialed up to 10 all the time and I can't discern is it anxiety or is it intuition. That's called mental illness. Yes. And usually it's something that's going to be, again, going back to what I was saying a moment ago with justification or looking for the root of these kinds of things to be able to help you better distinguish. Anxiety is usually going to be rooted in some sort of traumatic yeah. Situation. Yes. Anxiety is a trauma response, mm-hmm. usually. Fight or flight. Um, where intuition is not. Mm-hmm. So I usually tell people, if you really need, if you're really having a hard time dis- discerning between, is it anxiety, is it intuition, do something physical. 
Do something physical. You know, allow yourself to get up and walk. Go do some breathing. Something to first calm the anxiety. Because if all you're doing is, I'm anxious, but no, it's an intuitive thought. It's an intuitive, it's an intuitive prompt that's happening right now. Okay. If that's the case, then why are you anxious about it? If you're really that much of a powerful, intuitive person, you need to sit and go, okay, this is an intuitive message. I'm going to delve a little bit into it. And chances are, if the message is everyone hates you, you're ruining everyone's life, something's wrong, everyone's angry with you, that's not intuition, that's anxiety. Now, if you key in and instead of getting the everyone hates me, everything's, it could be, oh, oh. This person is having a really bad day, and I'm actually picking up that they're having a bad day, and because they don't have control over their energy or their abilities, it is actually spiking outwards, and I'm picking up on that. I need to do something. I need to ground, and I need to actually, like, maybe put up a little bit of a bubble. Yeah. You know? And then, if you do that, and the anxiety subsides, good job. It was intuitive. If you don't, and the anxiety is still there, you're assuming. And assuming makes an ass out of you and me. Don't call me an ass. So so I, I, I do struggle when my students ask me that question or when people ask me that question. It's like, well, how can you tell? What's the difference between the two? I, I struggle. And that's why I hand it over to you because like, I, I, just, I just know. Mm-hmm. I know it's intuitive. And I, I know. I know why you handed it over to me. It's because you're, you're basic. Yes. You said you had a generalized anxiety issue. And I mean, basic. I have a specialized anxiety issue. I am not basic. Good for you. So you're just anxious in bursts and spouts while I'm just kind of... I'm anxious. I'm a shaking chihuahua all the time. I'm anxious in certain situations. Like, I get anxious when I... I get anxious in large groups of people. That's called social anxiety. Exactly. It's social anxiety. I but have. I also but I also know why. I know why that is. There are very mundane, physical, sensory reasons for why that is. Yeah. It has nothing to do with intuition. No. It has nothing to do with me picking up on everybody's vibes. It's me going, people are disgusting. Gross. Get the fuck away from me. It's loud. Um, and it's loud. And I don't like it. I don't like loud. You know? Um, so that, and I noticed, I get really anxious I get anxious when I'm around white people. Ugh, I just don't like white people. Anyway. It's there. It's out there. I said it. Same. Anyway. I used to have I used to have that response with like straight guys. Like I used to get really that's anxious. True. I, think, I think most gay guys we get a little bit of that, don't we? Like we're like people like well, I think just anybody anybody in the LGBTQ plus IA, you know, plus spectrum. Like I think most of us have a tendency to feel a a little bit of anxiety when we find ourselves you know, having to feel, you know, very personally with like a white, straight, cis man. Yeah. Right. Because there's, there's always the likelihood that he's either going to be cool and chat with you or you're going to get gay bashed. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Um, because white, cis, straight men are the weakest link. Goodbye. Um, have we, have we talked about intuition and blah, blah, blah enough? Yes. I, okay. Just, before we wrap that wrap this up we had one more thing to talk about oh okay well before we wrap up this portion get your energetic 
hygiene under control ground center align all that great stuff i was having this conversation the the the, the listener who sent us the question of like is it intuition or is it anxiety um i i, I had this conversation i said well you have add right well yeah so you probably don't need a full need to sit and try and listen and focus on a full 20 minute grounding exercise that's too long for you to be sitting so instead go with what you can which you know speed it up i I had this interaction with a student where they were struggling with the exercises in in class so they they sat with me one-on-one and i asked them i said so do you have add and they said i don't think so but i i I i'm usually a little bit more fast-paced and i was like okay cool so i sped up the pace and they went whoa that's how it's supposed to feel i'm like yeah that and there's no problem in doing that speed it up it doesn't have to be a full 30 minute ordeal to ground yeah once you get really good at it even the people who can do a full 30 minute meditative grounding thing and alignment Mm -hmm. alignment you don't need to no 30 seconds tops yep to just boom you know and do not compare yourself to other people that's gonna yeah, just make things com- comparison is always going to be a trap for anxiety and uh, anxiety and <clears throat> ego issues yeah for sure yeah. so anyway that's my two cents so, sorry. so what's the last I'm, thing we I'm, have to talk I'm about i'm coughing through this episode again I'm, i apologize everyone um twin flames uh, um, and I, I want to talk about this a little bit because this is something I, I posted one of my witchy gay uncle rants on this on the shop's TikTok page earlier this week. Or was it last week? It doesn't matter. Was it a 10 minute video? Um, no, it was not. Uh, but it, um, but I was talking a bit in there about, again, how we continue to see this concept and why this hit my radar really is that within the last week we've had a few people into the store who have come in and they've been in here because they've been looking for their twin flame or struggling with their twin flame or trying to get back together with the person they believe is their twin flame. And, you know, in each of these situations, we, of course, we have to kind of talk that person down and say, okay, first of all, there's no such thing as a twin flame. That's crap. That's new age crap. (gasps) You're, you're, I'm sorry, Austin, you need to hear it. Okay. I, I don't cry. Don't cry. I do not cry. Um, but it's it's crap. It's garbage. It's garbage philosophy. It's it's garbage. It's not even but, philosophy. But it's, I paid two thousand dollars to have that reading. Well, uh, pay me two thousand dollars now to tell you that the reading was a waste of your time. That will somehow balance the karma, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, karma, another new age concept that makes about as much sense as twin flames. Um, <clears throat> I know karma is not a new age concept, but what the new age concept of karma is definitely the whitewashed version. Not is. what karma really is. We'll just say that. Um, Anyway, so this has been something that's being discussed. And, you know, and my, my, you know, my, the reason I speak on that is that people are, people are, get, are so, get, can get, be so hurt. People can get so hurt by this belief because they will hold on to some of the most destructive, most harmful life situations because they believe that something about that, that other person, you know, that, that that's their twin flame. You know, we've seen this happen, right? Women, women in particular who, who will stay with a man who beats them physically, emotionally beats them down 
again and again and again, and they will stay in those situations and justify and forgive and excuse the behavior because he's my twin flame and it's my responsibility to take this abuse because somehow through doing this, I'm balancing out some sort of weird spiritual contract, right? And if twin flames did exist, they would not be beating your ass, the whole purpose, the concept, the idea of what a twin flame would be would be a spirit that was meant to build you up and make your life experience better. But even then, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. They don't exist. Okay. And I'm going to say right now, just for clarification, twin flames, as they are believed and understood to exist by New Agers and light workers, they are not the same thing as soulmates. Soulmates are a legitimate spiritual concept and that does have a lot to do with spiritual contracts that have been established through different lifetimes if you are one to believe in reincarnation but many 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 people are soulmates and most of the time soulmates are not romantic connections so don't they get can be. don't get it twisted don't get it confused not the same thing twin flames are garbage there are two justifications two pieces of information that come up that people fall back again and again and again to justify a belief in twin flames. One of them goes all the way back <coughs> to Platonic philosophy that existed, you know, something Plato, you know, a uh, philosopher that existed, you know, millennia ago, right? Who spoke at one point or, or you know, delivered philosophy on the concept of how humans were originally born in what would have been seen as a more simplistic uh, merging of twin souls or two souls that would have been bound together in some sense. And then through some divine punishment or some folly of, of humanity, those souls were split down the middle. They were separated. And now those souls have to spend eternity, lifetime after lifetime and realm after realm, seeking each other out and finding each other so that they can become one again. Okay. The problem with this philosophy is that it has been mistranslated and misunderstood and that the concepts of spirituality, the concepts of culture and belief and, and these kinds of things, none of that is taken into account by, philo- by, by New Agers and Lightworkers because they don't want to have to do the research. They just want to spout the pretty nonsense. Right. And so that doesn't mean what you think it means. It's not the same thing. And that the way that that information is pushed, that's not even accurate. That's not even what that platonic philosophy was about, what that was saying. So if you are using that, if someone has told you that that is a basis for twin flame belief in your spiritual practice, that person is not only one, an educated, two, a liar, and three, they've probably taken money from you that you shouldn't have given them. Um, the second justification, and this is actually rooted in reality. This is a real thing, but it, it once again has nothing to do with validating twin flames as they exist in a new age concept or at all in any concept. Okay. But in the 1990s, I believe it was the late 1980s, 1990s, there was a cult, a neo-Christian cult that here, I believe, I believe it was in the U.S. I think it was in the U.S. Although, if I remember correctly, I think they had members in the U.K. as well. Anyway, one of the leaders of this cult was a woman by the name of Elizabeth Clare Prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, just like you know, prophets of God, right? Elizabeth Clare Prophet. Um, 
her cult, this neo-Christian cult that she was kind of a co-leader, she was the wife of the, the you know, official cult leader, right? Their cult, one of the things that they would do is they would take uh, inductees, people who were brought into the cult. Um, and when I'm talking cult here, I'm not talking like they were just a little Christian church. I'm talking like full on like Heaven's Gate, End of the world is nigh. Drink the poison Kool Aid if you want to make it to the next world. Kinds of cult mindset. Okay, these are these are scary, dangerous people, and they hurt a lot of other people. Uh, but anyway, but Elizabeth Clare Prophet uh, declared herself a seer. She was uh, a she had uh, prophetic dreams, and you know, and she <clears throat> she had all of these spiritual gifts. And one of the things that she would do when people joined the cult is she would take people, separate members, men and women, whether they were single or already married, and she would tell them that someone else in the cult was actually their twin flame. And in the process, they would have to leave their spouse, their already legal spouse, <clears throat> and they would have to go through <coughs> or undergo through go undergo the process of a ritual marriage under the direction of the cult, a new ritual marriage to their twin flame under the influence of Elizabeth Clare Prophet and her co-cult leader. Um, <clears throat> the, the problem with this, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so sorry, I've got like something stuck in my throat. <clears throat> it's the ghost of Elizabeth Clare Prophet attacking me. She's trying to tell me to shut up. Anyway, um, but they, so you can already see by just some of those details how damaging this was to these people or could have been to these people. And if you didn't do this, you weren't allowed to stay a part of the cult, right? You got kicked out of the out of the, the brotherhood, right? Um, you weren't family anymore. Nobody wants to get kicked out of the cults because bad things usually happen to you when you get kicked out of the cult. Um, but she did this and, and what they were determining or what was found out later on once the activities of this cult became aware more people became aware of this cult is that she was picking and choosing and basically playing spiritual matchmaker to people who had joined the cult who were people of influence if there was a wealthy man who joined the cult she in secret would go to this man and she would say if you agree to give me this much money or buy the cult this much land, or do whatever it is that the corrupt cult leader wants you to do, I will have a prophetic vision that will tell this pretty 18-year-old girl that just joined the cult that you're her twin flame and that the two of you are meant to be together, not only in this lifetime, but in the next lifetime. And she and this was a regular thing. This was her entire motivation for doing this. She was lying to people. She was destroying lives. She was destroying marriages. And, um, you know, and that that cults really, to be honest, imploded. Thank God. Thank God. Without, you know, any kind of awful, horrible, lots of people dying kind of situation. It, it ultimately the cult kind of fell apart. Um, but that is the only other information that you are really going to find out there with a google search at least that is going to mention or reference any kind of twin flame phenomena and i'll be honest with you you have to do a little bit of a deep dig on elizabeth claire prophet and her cult 
Um, if you do a Google search for that name, you'll probably find information about her. But you, you really, you got to do a little bit of a deep dive on her cult to get the uh, the the really evil shit that was going on. Yes. Um, um, if you want, I could actually, because I'm sitting here looking at looking at this stuff and like, what is this? Um, they founded her and her husband. Mark L. Prophet founded the Summit Lighthouse in 1958. Mm. Um, and yeah, yeah, they, yeah, one they, of her they other were... names was Guru Ma, Mother of the Flame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, she and her oh. husband were scammed. They scammed people for like 40 years. They founded the Church Universal and Triumphant. Yeah. Whoa. Gross. Yeah. And and they were neo Christian cultists. I mean, they're they're you know they're uh, the core of the foundation of their belief was was in essence was evangelical Christianity, well, but they incorporated a whole mix of ascended masters of, of esoteric Eastern philosophies and and obviously a whole shit ton of UPG, mm-hmm. um, and that was you know but but that's to be honest that's the nature of a cult right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, but those are those are the two references that you're going to find out there that, uh, and really only two, that have been adequately documented that can be traced back to source, first person speaking the thing, kinds of information. One has been grossly misunderstood and mistranslated, and and again is is not being looked at from an academic approach and a consideration mm-hmm. of the culture and the era. The other is the crazy ramblings of a 1900s neo-Christian occultist. And we all know how... Oh, like 1990s. We all, we all know how reliable that information probably was. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, like they founded their first church in the 50s. Yeah, she died but, in 2009. Yeah, but, but they continued to, like, scam people and establish new cults, and they would just move to a new state mm-hmm. and start all over again once the, the local authorities got wise. You know, they, they did this for 40 years. 40 years of lying and destroying and stealing from people. And and selling false philosophies like twin flames. Yay, light workers. So exactly, yay, light workers. Um, you, now you said something the other day mm-hmm. um, that I have no idea what the, what it is. Okay. You said dark night of the soul. Um. And I'm like, the fuck is that? You're not familiar with the term of a dark night of the soul? No, but I've heard you say it, and I've heard another one of the customers, Amy. Yeah. Say it, and okay. I've heard other people, and there was this other person who I had the displeasure of interacting with, who was a twin flame reader, and, and yes. she's gone through oh, nine God. dark nights of the soul. I mean, that just sounds like you made a lot of bad life choices. Well, in essence, that's kind of what that is. So, okay, so in in where we're kind of moving in a different direction now, but that's fine. I really I said everything I needed to say about twin flames, and we're 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 running long on our episode now. Um, <clears throat> a dark night of the soul is a concept that pops up in pretty much every established religion or spiritual path in the world. Okay. Um, in biblical context, the dark night of the soul is that moment. Uh, well, it pops up in a few different situations and again, it really kind of depends on who who's translating the Bible. Right. Uh, but one, one, one example of a dark night of the soul is that um, moment uh, or that, that brief time where Jesus was in the garden prior to, his crucifixion, right? Like he knew, he knew, right? The, the story tells us he knew mm-hmm. he was going to be crucified. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew he was going to be crucified. And this was all kind of part of the plan, right? At least he, at least someone's plan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the, the prior to that though, there is this idea that he 
had this moment, not of weakness, but a moment of introspection because he didn't run away from his death, right? He he still he still martyred. He still did all the things, right? He didn't run away from what was coming. So he it was not a moment of cowardice, but a moment of introspection where he had to, I think, look very carefully at where he was and what had brought him there and the decisions that had been made and the people he had trusted and the overall purpose for everything that was going on and what was going to happen, right? So that is one example of a dark night of the soul. In more common senses, a dark night of the soul, it would be something comparable to say like a tower moment or like say like a Saturn return where you find yourself in a moment where for whatever reason you've tried your best and everything has kind of fallen apart and you hit a low point, you know, um, and you have to be there in that place. You have to go through that low moment because if you don't, you won't be able to find the light again. You won't be able to pick yourself up and find that core of strength and move forward even in the face of adversity, right? Um, and so a dark night of the soul is one of these situations where you're like, well, shit, I'm in kind of a bad place and I need to figure this out and I need to do some soul searching and I need to look very carefully at what it is I'm surrounding myself with right now with the idea that I'll make a different decision or that I'll at least muster the strength to be able to see this through so I can get through that dark night and reclaim the dawn is kind of the idea. Okay. okay. So it is a very uh, simplistic way of describing a, a process of, uh, I would say, death and rebirth, but not a literal death and rebirth, no. obviously, right? We're talking more a concept of maybe of a uh, an expansion of awareness mm-hmm. or, or a deeper understanding. And yes, and, and to be honest, yes, a sense of freedom that can sometimes come with acceptance. Um, so, so that is a, a very simplistic way to describe that. Um, and yes, there are uh, dark nights of the souls are are common. They happen to us all. Everybody has had a dark night of the soul. Um, and now there I'm are, sitting here trying to figure out about. Uh, and there are that. people out there who and well, and sometimes the thing is, sometimes a dark night of the soul can be something because of the enormity of what's going on in that person's life. Something sometimes a dark night of the soul is something that can take months, years. Because they're dealing with such big, important kinds of consequences or changes or fears or whatever it may be, right? And then there are other things where it's like, you know, a couple of days, you know, like where you you say like you 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 lose a job that you really liked, right? But for whatever reason, you lost your job, you know, and then you have that weird period for, you know, who knows, a couple weeks, right? Until you you know, get, get up the nerve a couple days, even who knows, right. Where you're like, okay, I can't just sit here and wallow. I've got to get out there. I've got to put out another resume. I've got to go and I've got to apply. I've got to find something else. Right. But losing the job is one of those kinds of things. That's always, it always puts you in the place to kind of like reflect Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, like, do I want to go back out and find another job? Just like the one I've been doing. Right. Or what could I maybe have done differently in recent months where maybe I wouldn't have lost my job or maybe is losing my job really that that big a deal is it such a bad thing because in looking at it a little more honestly maybe i was miserable and losing my job was probably for the best right and that's how you make it through and you find the light right um so so there's no standard dark night of the soul Uh, but people do have these Uh, but i would say if you are someone who is having dark nights of the soul consistently yeah that's not a spiritual thing that's a you make shitty life choices and you probably need to figure out who the fuck you are before you make another big commitment. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up to have another dark night of the soul. Um, 
The spiritual component of Dark Knights of the Soul is interesting because there is this idea that these are things, even though they can be really shitty to go through, kind of again, kind of like a tower card moment, right? Mm -hmm. It's shitty to find yourself in that moment, but it does serve greater purpose for you on a spiritual level. It's something that is supposed to kind of help you evolve a little bit, right? So there's always a purpose, right? Um, Anyway. Has that just been sticking in your head since the other day? Since last night, yeah, because I was like... Was it just last night? Yeah. I don't even remember the hell we were talking about that I said that. That was That's a very... You considered your brief stint in... Oh, yes, yes. My brief uh, involvement with a, a another spiritual group years back. Yes, that was definitely a dark night of the soul. Yes, um, and that's all we need to say on that because it's a very personal thing and... Um, Maybe I should relate that story on the podcast at one point. Maybe maybe that would be a good thing to discuss because I think that a lot of people look at someone like me. I'm trying to figure out how to say this without making myself sound like an arrogant asshole. A lot of people look at you and they see you as someone who has their shit together, who knows what their spiritual path is, and like they they see you as a strong, sovereign individual because you are. But they Aww. also see that and they go, he's never made a mistake around his spiritual path yeah. in his life. Yeah. And if you think that about Mike or I, well, you, or, oof, or well, anyone it's else. Even, it's not even about past mistakes. I think day to day, excuse me, day to day really, to be honest, it's more about being honest and, and uh, even people who are firmly established in their practices, people who have gone through processes of initiation you know, painful kinds of shit Mm -hmm. to get to where they are in their spiritual practice. Even those people having undergone all of that with all of that commitment and the overall good of that situation, we're human. Mm -hmm. And there are still moments where we'll, we doubt. Yeah. Right. And that's a normal thing. That's a common thing. And that moment a few years ago where I found myself contemplating pursuing a different spiritual practice or path with a different spiritual group of people, um, and I can see now in hindsight that would have been a disaster. That group of people is probably one of the most horrible, awful, disgusting groups of people I've ever had the misfortune of finding myself involved with. But what they were offering was so shiny. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, and and I did, and I had a moment of of what I look at as weakness, but I also now can see there was a value to this because doing that, taking that risk, putting myself out there to the extent that I did, and then giving a chance to really see what it was once the shine started to dull a little bit, and I got to see who those ugly people really were beneath those masks. Mm-hmm. That more than anything galvanized my efforts and my belief in what I already had and what I was already doing. And it also gave me some ideas on how I could take what I was doing and change it a little bit in a way where I could kind of make it new again for myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so that absolutely, I consider a dark night of the soul. What? Yes. So um, anyway, so don't be afraid of dark nights of the soul. They're actually good for us long term, okay. as long as we uh, keep the lesson. So, um, Do you have anything else? No, I think that we have an episode. Okay. All right. And now I'm just sitting here like, I'm trying to like think about my dark nights of the soul, and then I'm just like, oh my god, was college just an entire? Yes, dark night I think of the college soul? was uh, for you, particularly like maybe like the last year or so, where you were really kind of at the end of your tether, and you were like, holy shit, I'm I'm so done with this. I, I yes, I, I think that 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 last little bit of your education was absolutely a dark night of the soul. I think that that's actually true for a lot of people who go mm-hmm. through higher education, like they're like, because you do, you get to that point where you're like, I'm so tired. 
and I've done this for so long, and I've spent so much money, and I've had to deal with so many horrible people, but here I am, mm-hmm. you know, and there's just hope that once you graduate and you get that fucking degree, that you'll be able to then finally claim the light and go on your life and have success and happiness, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think a lot of people have feelings like Dark Knights of the Souls around their educations. Um, I know I certainly did. I think, I think another one that was actually just a couple years ago was Butterfly. Uh, yes, I, I would also say your career as a an opera performer, uh, and particularly that performance, which I'm just going to say never should have happened. That 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 performance never should have been produced. Madame Butterfly. That that, that thing was show. that that particular that particular performance. I I just want to say I won't say it was cursed, but it may as well have been. Oh no, um, Madame Butterfly is cursed. And then, I'm the, well, convinced. The, the show itself, the story itself, and if there are people out there who love love opera, you know, please forgive me, but I think Madame Butterfly is garbage. I don't think it ever should have been written. I think it's bullshit. It's racist. It's misogynist. It's it's a horrible, horrible show, and yet it continues to be produced worldwide because it's a classic. Got to do the classics. No, it's like, a horrible. No, show. no, we don't. No, we fucking don't. Though I will say, we did have the idea of not killing Butterfly. Um, well, and by we, I mean me and my, my, my butterfly, like instead of killing yourself, instead, as I'm running on screaming butterfly, Mm -hmm. you just kill me instead. So she like jumps up off the floor and she was like, I was just pretending to be dead. And she pulls it, uh, I I don't know, like some sort of like weapon out of her, her kimono. And she like, like slashes Pinkerton in half. No, like I'm oh. thinking like, like, so like as I'm running on stage, butterfly, butterfly. And she's like going to stab herself. She looks at me and she gets uh. up and there's just this idea of like, oh my God, everything's cool. And I go running to her. And as I run to her, she just stabs me in the gut. And then I just fall to the ground. And then Delore comes over and kicks me in the head. I, I would pay to see that version of butterfly. Um, I have nothing else to say for this particular episode. I feel like all I've done is talk um, and cough. And again, I'm very sorry to our listeners for coughing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the weather today. It's weird. It started to snow again. Hmm. Where is that rain? I can't tell. I don't know. It's very dark outside. It might be rain because uh, I was hearing sounds like clicking. Yeah. So. We have some very exciting stuff coming up this month. We are going to have a couple of guests that, um, that I think we're very excited about. We are going to have um, the not-so-old crone on the <gasps> yes. podcast. Um, I've been uh, following her through social media. Well, you think you do too, don't you? Mm-hmm. We've been following her through um, just social media connections for, um, I think, probably at least at least I've been I've been following her for like over a year now. And I, I just, I she just continues to me to be one of the more reasonable and uh, intelligent voices amongst the many witch witchy personalities that I follow online. Um, anyway, I just love her. I just love the way that she looks at things and presents things. She's she's yeah. I'm, so I'm very excited to chit chat with her. Um, and then later in the month, we uh, will actually be featuring Keanu. Oh, um, they will be joining us on the podcast, and I believe we're going to be discussing um, issues of uh, diversity. Um, LGBTQIA plus diversity, uh, people of color diversity, um, and intersectionality within uh, the within the witchcraft community, um, and also um, I think that uh, if I recall correctly, I believe Keanu. I think they also wanted to talk a bit about um, just issues that come up with online occultism. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is online now, right? And I, I 
uh, I continue to lament that because I, I I'll say that the internet and social media have helped us in so many ways as magical practitioners but oh god they've created a lot of mess they have created so many problems for us as well um but we're going to be talking about that and i think that'll also be a really fun episode Um, we we always enjoy chatting with keanu yes i love that keanu Keanu is family we we love to talk to keanu um anyway um yes that's that's all i have to say uh those of you who listen please send us questions send us comments let us know how we're doing um, you can email us. Where can they email us, Austin? The Salty Witches Podcast at gmail.com. All one word? The All salty one witches? word. Yep. W I T H E S, I do believe. W I T C H E S. Witches. Okay. Yes. Okay, gotcha. The Salty Witches at gmail.com. The Salty Witches Podcast. Podcast, excuse me. Okay. At gmail.com. Excellent. Okay. You can also contact us here through Anchor uh, for the podcast. Um, you can send us. In messages on Instagram. If you still do Facebook, you can find us on Facebook. Um, but let us know what you want us to talk about. Um, you know, and uh, we will uh, we will we will get to that for you, and give you our uh, give you our expert opinions. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I'm I'm pretty good. I know it. Yeah, I don't really feel like expert really is a word that applies to what we do as witches. But uh, but we are. Well, I don't uh, think there's ever really truly an expert around. We are. Witchcraft uh, we'll just say we're we're extremely knowledgeable and we're very good at what we do. Okay, how about that? I like it. Okay. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we will be back next week. Aren't you going to say goodbye, Austin? Oh, goodbye.